0: Hello and welcome back to It's Your Money, the mayor Brownsword podcast. We're back from our summer break, tanned, rested and ready to help you make your money work for you. My name's Andrew Harrison. I'm a journalist. I'm not a financial journalist, so don't take my advice. But you can take the advice of Andy Mayer.
1: Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm good, but I don't know where you've been on holiday. But when I went up to Scotland, it wasn't as warm as obviously where you've been, because I've come back still pale. Well, I'm still pale as well. I've
0: not been there. The, the, the most time <laughs> I've got has been open in the fridge, I'm afraid. Um, so you've probably got a better <laughs> tan from Scotland. This week, we're going to be talking about death and taxes, which was inevitable in the end, wasn't it? But before we get into that, I want to ask you about a couple of personal finance things that happened over the summer. Mm. One is, to the surprise of many, house prices have continued to rocket. Nationwide says prices are up 13% in a year. The average house is now £248,000, and property prices just recorded their second largest month on month rise in 15 years, up by 2.1%. So how is this happening, and why is this happening?
1: I think if it, during the start of the pandemic, if you'd have put a bet on house prices going through the roof, you'd have been shot or certified. I think the stamp duty freeze helped. And then it's been fueled by a number of factors. I think people wanting to move from maybe flats into houses, people wanting to move out of towns into the countryside, people wanting to live near the coast. There's a house in Lyme Regis that was up for $3.97 about 18 months ago. It's now five twenty five dollars because people want to live near the coast. But it's obviously causing major issues for first-time buyers and other issues that it accumulates. But I would never have said to you on March the 23rd, when we went into a lockdown in 2020, house prices would hit an all-time high. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Does it mean we're due for some kind of bust coming then, if if this has been unnatural enthusiasm maybe brought on by the the stamp duty decisions?
1: I think it will lead to maybe a correction at some stage, but it hasn't shown any signs of slowing since the stamp duty holiday ended. I think it'll be the early part of next year when we have maybe better information, but I don't think it's going to slow down. But this is going to cause some real issues for literally first-time buyers because where do they get on the housing ladder? But house prices, um, most people listening to this podcast will own their house and there'll be a significant rise. But it's only really relevant if you're downsizing because if you do want to move and you want to go to a different area or a bigger house and it's going to cost you more, that's gone up by more. And the second thing that popped up was this this
0: strange and unexpected resistance in the Conservative Party to cancelling the £20 universal credit uplift that came in during the pandemic. The government's expecting rebellions in the autumn. What, what is this telling us about what might come up in the autumn? Are we going to be seeing like tight Sunak versus free spending Johnson?
1: I think, <laughs> I think the autumn's going to be very interesting and the next year's budget even more interesting. But I, I just have this thought that we're, they're trying to balance two things one to start paying back some of this huge debt and two to get the economy back going and it's where johnson's sort of let's just roll the dice to soon. X, now hold on we need to start bringing back some money into the economy who's going to win on that battle and whether they call an early election and then introduce tax rises if they win so i think it's going to be a fascinating watch and see period over the next number of months
0: As I said, this episode, we're going to talk about death and taxes. They're both coming. So what are we going to do about them? Andy, I bet you don't know who first came up with uh, death and taxes. Most people think it's Benjamin Franklin. No, I don't. Come on, give us an answer. It's Daniel Defoe of all people. I was not expecting this. Benjamin Franklin actually quoted Daniel Defoe Ah. in The Political History of the Devil. He said, things as certain as death and taxes can be more firmly believed. And then (laughs) some 60 years later, Benjamin Franklin writes in the letter about the American Constitution, our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes, which is in itself weirdly kind of perceptive about our present day. Well, anyway, never mind that. People are no, interested in this. They're interested in inheritance tax in particular. You build your pot. And while we all want hospitals and schools to be built, we'd also like to pass on what we can. Firstly, tell us, in the UK, compared to similar countries, how onerous is inheritance tax here?
1: I think the inheritance tax in this country is very onerous because I think there's an awful lot of people who've accumulated some wealth through house prices in the South. And suddenly, they're looking to pass this on to their family And then it disappears. Each country's got its own various taxes. If you look at the states, that can be by the state, never mind the country. And Americans can obviously get a worldwide tax. But I think in this country, inheritance tax is very, very divisive at the moment. Yeah. So what is the trajectory
0: of the legislation then? Because there's been calls for a wealth tax. There's been calls for higher capital gains tax to to pay that national debt you you were just talking about. Rishi Sunak has just frozen two thresholds on
1: inheritance tax. What's going on? simply. But once you freeze in any allowance, it gets more people paying a tax. It's like the income tax threshold that was frozen. More people are now paying tax. The inheritance tax threshold, and we, we've we just started with how well house prices have gone yeah. up. <laughs> it's great. It just means that people have gone into thresholds where that when they die, they're probably going to pay inheritance tax on their main residence, whereas maybe two years ago, they won't. Mm. They weren't rather. So inheritance tax can be seen as very penal in terms of house prices depending on where you live and certain assets and it is one of those contentious taxes but I always look at inheritance tax and the reason for this podcast is it came up through having a beer in Scotland with somebody who helped us out when the car broke down and somebody right. in the pub just going oh yes, yeah, so and so's just had to pay an inheritance tax bill because his late mother left 200,000 pound in the bank account and I went Well, if she'd have stuck it in a different scheme, she wouldn't have paid it on that. And this bloke nearly dropped his pint. Right, And that's where I sort of look at inheritance tax, go, there are things that are on Her Majesty's government websites, HMRC, that tells you these are legal. Yeah. But I I can't see inheritance tax going down, especially with the debt we've got. Well, if it's not going down, but you say there are things that people aren't using, what...
0: Should people be using? What should you be looking at? Because obviously, it depends on what kind of pot you are going to leave, doesn't it? Yeah. What is
1: the kind of tax-free band? Well, you've got this is again typical of HMRC and government. You've got six hundred and fifty thousand pound as a couple, but you've also got allowances for your property, which, depending on which way you go, you can leave up to a million tax-free. Which for some people listening to this will be more than adequate, and for other people it won't. But currently, pension pots are outside of inheritance tax, which is phenomenal. So you could have a £600,000 pension pot, a £200,000 pension pot die and leave it to your spouse or leave it to your children, which could set them up for life.
0: Right. So, I mean, given that, everybody's circumstances are different and it's a bit like saying how long is a piece of string but what should the average person concentrate on when planning for inheritance tax you know if you're not sort of stratospherically wealthy but you've got a you know you own your own home in a reasonable part of town what are the things you should be looking at to make sure that your inheritance tax is not too
1: onerous i think don't leave it too late but in your 40s i wouldn't be worried drastically about it but when you get to your 60s 70s and 80s and if you're over the threshold you've got to start looking at if you're not going to spend the money either gift it away but there's something called business relief and it was introduced by Thatcher's government because they saw th- things like the butcher in the local high street having to sell his shop on the death of the butcher because the children couldn't pay all the taxes. So they basically said this business relief, if you're running a business and it was going to continue, you could claim business relief and not pay inheritance tax. Very clever fund managers then decided they could run a legitimate scheme. So after two years of investing in either wind farms which is why you see a lot of celebrities invest in uh, farming and wind farms. Yes. When you're seeing people in forestry or peer-to-peer lending in terms of bricks and mortar, it should be inheritance tax-free from two years of investment. And that makes a lot of difference. So if people are holding money in banks or leaving money in stocks and shares ISAs, they form part of their estate. But money in business relief or an AIM ISA, after two years of moving into those schemes is outside of inheritance tax, it makes a huge difference to people. Now, you shouldn't put all your money in them and you need to talk to people, but they are legitimate schemes that that most people don't know about, don't research up on, and don't ask about and we leave the money and then the children or the charity we want to have the money the most gets absolutely hammered by a 40% tax. And let's face it, inheritance tax, You've paid tax on the money when you're accumulating it. (laughs) You then leave it and you get taxed again. So I think these schemes are really, really good. So a little bit more on that business property relief stuff. Just
0: explain to me further. So you're effectively investing in existing business property, concrete assets, and then you've got a two-year period after which any gains on that are not taxable or the whole thing is not taxable? The whole
1: thing's not taxable. So let's say there's companies like Octopus and Downing and Stellar and Time. There's a lot of these companies out there. There's about 13. So you give them, say, your £200,000 money, and you say, I want to put it in. Farming's difficult because it's difficult to get farms, but say forestry. So you put your two, £200,000, they buy you a chunk of a forest or a share of a the forest they own, or you can put it in hotels. Two years later, you get a letter off them saying, Dear Mr. Smith, thank you so much for your £200,000 that you invested in 2021. It's now worth two hundred pounds 8,000 and subject to HMRC rules or clearance on your death. This is now outside of inheritance tax. And you can put them in various areas. Quite popular are renewable energies. They're really popular renewables because they get government subsidies. But none of these schemes are what you would call brilliantly profitable. Right. You're not getting six, seven, you're looking at 3%. So you're looking at inflation and beating inflation a little bit. But ultimately, if you put £200,000 in and die four years later, and it's worth, say, two hundred and ten, pounds there's no 40% on it. It's free right. of any tax. And that's why people do it. And that's one of the reasons rich people get richer. And this is why when you see a lot of celebrities saying they're planting trees to save the world, I think they're planting trees to save their wealth, personally. Right. But that's me being slightly more cynical. But it's a very... it's And it's on HMRC and these... Schemes do come with an element of risk because they're not covered by the financial services compensation scheme. That's really important for listeners to understand that it's something that before you go ahead with this, you do need to take advice. But I think these schemes are really good. I think they have a positive benefit on the legacy that people want to leave.
0: Just winding it back a little bit. The standard nil rate band is, I believe, three hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds per person. Yeah. That you pay no tax on it at all. So statistically, how many people fall into that where they wouldn't be paying it anyway? Or I mean, I mean, what's the usual level of a bequest or an estate or whatever? Now,
1: that can vary depending on, and I'm, this sounds really awful, depending on whether you live in the north of England, the south of England, hmm. because the house prices in the south of England are obviously different. One of the things we're going to do—it's either in the October podcast or the November podcast—I'm actually getting a solicitor on to talk about this. Yeah, because I think it would be really good to go into inheritance tax in more of a in-depth way and focus on some of the rules that are out there. So I'm hopefully—I'm just trying to secure a date with um, the solicitor, and he'll be on to answer all those yeah. more in-depth questions.
0: There was a surprising statistic about only four percent of estates pay inheritance tax but two thirds of them are in the south and east of the UK. So I should just move back in with my mum, shouldn't I, <laughs> on Merseyside and cut, my, uh, cut my IHT. Something else that you wanted to talk about was venture capital trust as a good avenue for protecting what you're going to leave. What are they and who are they right for?
1: Venture capital trusts, a lot of people are now finding that they might have maximised their ISA allowance of £20,000 or they might have fallen foul that their pensions might increase over the uh, the lifetime allowance or they might their salary might be over 150,000, they're losing allowances. A venture capital trust is an investment. It's virtually a UK smaller company. So, examples that people might know of venture capital trusts are Grays, Zoopla, Lovefilm. Now, if you bought a basket of venture capital trust, if you put, say, £10,000 in, the government give you a 30% rebate. So, they give you a three grand tax rebate, but you've got to hold it for five years. But the reason they give you that tax rebate is really simple. These are small startup companies. Whilst I've mentioned the successful ones, some of these go bust. So if you put your £10,000 in, your initial investment with the tax rebate is seven. And importantly, you probably get a four to 5% return. So when you get five years down the road, you've probably got back nine and a half to £10,000, unless you get a Zoopla in there where they sell them out for big profits. But they come with a tax break because they come with high risk. Well, they're not tax exempt. No, they form, the minute that then goes back into your estate, the income and everything is tax-free. Yeah. Well, interestingly, what we've got next week, we've got Will Gibbs from Octopus, who's a venture capital trust manager, right. explaining actually the due diligence they do because it is a high-risk area and you are putting money into startup companies, which can go really well, like we've said, mm. greys and people like this, or they can go really badly. And when you look at, Loaf, the furniture company, they had massive venture capital trust. When you look at Leon, the restaurant chain, they had it. So a lot of these companies can do very well, but we can also go back and look at Patisserie Valerie. that A lot of the venture capital trusts had money in and it went bust through false accounting. So you never get a tax break off a government unless there's a reason for it.
0: You are investing in a company rather than a, a savings scheme.
1: Yeah, you're investing in a range of companies. So you might have 30 companies in your portfolio, thirty, but they're startup companies, Andrew. Unlike an ISA yeah. where you might be investing in British Petroleum or John Lewis or Apple or Microsoft or Unilever, these are very, very small startup companies, and that's why the government give you breaks to invest in them to try and promote British industry, and they then create jobs.
0: There are smaller things you can do, less complicated things, aren't there? But there are no taxes charged on assets left to spouses or civil partners. No. So that's kind of part of your standard arrangements, isn't it?
1: You can leave money to your spouse. But what I think a lot of people always forget is you can leave the money to your spouse. There's no inheritance tax. But unless you've set up trusts and wills in the correct way, if they get remarried, you have no control over afterwards. So there's in yeah. some ways two parts to tax. One is what we pay on the journey to sort of retirement. And one is the journey after our death where it goes and how much we can actually leave. So venture capital trusts are really successful in terms of what they do pre-retirement, in retirement and replacing certain other tax areas that might be closed. But post-death, no, they're not tax efficient at all. What about gifts in wills then?
0: How much can you pass on tax-free? How much are you able to pass on and how much can people receive without
1: themselves being due for tax? So your pension... That's why a lot of people are putting a lot of money into pensions now, because that can gift down to your spouse. You can gift it down to children tax-free. You've got annual allowances every year, and then you've got certain – but like a stocks and shares ISA forms part of your estate, whereas a business relief, like we've just talked about, doesn't. So that's one of the reasons we're going to bring the solicitor on to go through some of these areas in a bit more detail. But it's – everyone's situation is so individual – to them about their, what their beliefs are and what they want. And some people say, I don't want to leave a penny, and they do. And some other people are really concerned about what their inheritance is going to look like, and that it is a real in-depth area to make sure that when you die, you you leave your money where you want it to go to, but don't leave money on inheritance tax, so you don't have to. Did I also read that uh, if you leave a certain chunk of your estate to charitable gifts, then that can actually affect your IHT. Yes, it does. It's very tax efficient. But again, I would recommend if you leave any money to a charity, it's really, really important that you write it down, how you want it distributed and when, because charities obviously have had real issues collecting money because of the pandemic. So to make it easy for your trustees, make sure that you say in the will that you want to leave it to these charities. But when everything is settled, and if anyone who wants to leave any money to the Celtic FC charity to make sure we can sign a defender, <laughs> I can arrange for it at all. Coventry City to go and buy a new stadium that we can actually own. Any of those charities, more than happy to give any advice on.
0: We're talking about charities, not hopeless cases here, are we? <laughs> don't don't, yeah, don't, don't get think, the violin out.
1: I think Celtic getting back a back four defender who could head a good header ball would be a miracle more than anything else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Finally then, before we wrap up, The big question, I always ask you at the end of these podcasts, what is the one big thing that people can focus on and can do right now to make a start on this and to start getting ahead of it?
1: I think if you're pre-retirement is to make sure you're taking advantage of every tax allowance that the government give you. And I think if you're in what we call the de-accumulation stage where you're in retirement and you're starting to spend your money, make sure that you've taken, again, every allowance that is available from a government. And whilst we all like having money in a bank, there is no point leaving money in a bank. One, if it's not making you any money. And two, if you're just going to give 40% of it back to HMRC on taxes. So take advantage of what the governments are there. And that's on the journey to retirement and the post-retirement journey. Make sure you use all the allowances that are allowed. Because i tell you this now, I'm not really a gambling man. But I know one thing, after this pandemic, taxes are not getting reduced. We're all going to pay an increased burden for a number of years to cover the national debt. So whatever allowances are there, don't waste them because we're all going to get absolutely hammered with tax increases in some form of another over the next one to 10 years.
0: I love the concept of the de-accumulation phase. I think I've been in the deaccumulation phase <laughs> since about 1987.
1: <laughs> but, Andrew, it does people I, – I do find people save all of their life retirement or save for something, then they, they have a problem spending. it. And the issue is if you're not going to spend it and you're over inheritance tax, put it in business relief. Mm. so that your estate can actually enjoy it. Do not give it to HMRC when you don't need to. Good advice. They're not getting their hands on it.
0: Andy, thanks as ever for explaining this stuff. Oh, that has been a pleasure, as always. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We're going to be back soon. If you found this podcast useful, please do follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get every edition. When it comes out, you'll get a little alert on your phone to remind you. Andy, good to talk to you. What are you up to next?
1: I think um, my daughter goes to university. Back to university over the weekend, so we're going to go home, have a Domino's, and uh, just help her pack and get used to being a three-legged horse rather than a four-legged horse in the house. And then I think it'll be interesting next week when the schools go back, and we'll see how the world evolves with schools going back, universities going back, and we'll see how this current situation evolves. You're
0: never going to be able to de-accumulate just on Domino's pizza. You know?
1: Try harder than that. <laughs> yeah, but the pepperoni hot tonight is going to be amazing.
0: There you go. Andy, good to talk to you. Everybody else, see you next time.